We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the new cycle of people that make it and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster here in studio with Michael Moynihan and Matt Welch. Gentlemen, it is good to be with you on this very, very fine day. This is the this it's a stretch of very nice days here in New York. Yes. Um, so it's it's uh, it's wonderful. It's like eighty with you. six or something. Yeah. yeah. At yeah. least two of us are wearing shorts. Yes. I, yeah, I, I'm wearing shorts. Well, no, I have very fashionable chinos here that you know the bottom has been cut off and they're frayed in this wonderful distressed way i'm glad glad you're painting a picture parisian cotton (laughs) yeah i will paint a picture that um on my journey here into the studio i did notice that it is one of those fine days where there are people out that are not wearing very much yes there's not a lot of clothes going on new york a lot of that actually yeah and i realized that i love this city and i love hot weather (laughs) yeah just i love the heat amen i mean i don't you have to combine the two because i don't want to be in dubai no listen that's not happening in, in like and Saudi. You often talk about your, your passion for shirtless men in the summer. Yes. And yes. You know on what? roller skates. That's yeah. that's great. And there's nothing <laughs> gay about yeah. that. And if there was, no. it wouldn't matter. No. Because it's fine. No. The fact that I woke up this morning, watched the first half, half of cruising yes. before I got on the subway. <laughs> As you do. It's irrelevant. It's it has gr- nothing to do with this conversation. Great American it film. It is a great American film. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, man. Um, well, we should probably get to it because I suspect we may have to, to break a little bit yeah. earlier than usual because we're up against the clock. There's a bunch of stuff going on, but I suspect we should start with this thing that happened yesterday where a young guy, I think he's 21 years 21. old, um, was arrested by the mm. FBI in connection with these this Pentagon classified document leak that we've been reading stories about for a mm. couple of Couple of weeks, day, well, a week, a week, yeah, a week, a week now, a yeah. couple of days. They've been um, out there for a while, um, but the documents had been out there for yeah, months. For sure. It seems at least since early January. the The story is strange and still developing. The early stories seem to suggest that we didn't quite know if the documents were official. We also didn't know if they might be kind of Russian disinformation. Now it turns out that this young guy was the administrator of a <laughs> yes. a gaming. Uh, message board um, on, um, what's it called? Discord. 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 Yeah. It just had a Discord server. Uh, apparently, a bunch of the people on the Discord server, he, I think he referred to himself as OG, among other things. Oh, yeah, he's the OG. Because he yeah. was the old, one of the oldest he's people the, yeah. on the Discord server. A number of them are 17 and younger. And younger, yeah. And he's, he's publishing these documents to the Discord server. We don't know how he obtained the documents yet. He has some sort of job where he likely deals with intelligence, but we don't know exactly how he got the documents or what he went about doing. But we do know that they were parked there for a while. <laughs> yes, they were. And he encouraged people not to share them, yeah. but he did Good sec. take a look, <laughs> be aware of what's happening in the world, just trying to yeah. encourage them. Yes. Uh, encourage this, the 15-year-old <laughs> server. So there's plenty that we could talk about and turn over here. Um, I know you guys have been reading the coverage um, and watching some of the back and forth amongst various journalists who have many perspectives on this. Uh, I'm wondering what your principal takeaways are. This is what we're almost a decade removed from the Snowden leagues. Yeah. Um, I guess the Chelsea Bradley Manning was 2017. No, I think it was before that, wasn't it? Was it before? Yeah, it was before that. Before that. Okay. Okay. Because Chelsea then Bradley Manning was was in Iraq. Yeah. Um, was stationed in Iraq. Yeah. I mean, those things were specifically, we're trying to leak these um, uh, documents because we were outraged at their contents. And this was a guy who wanted to grow up and be an OG of 
20 pimply faced nerds on discord um, and was encouraging him, as you said, not to share the information. So it's a real huge category difference. And also, so today I, I should, uh, you know, uh, confess to not having uh, read closely when everything first came out. Um, so today I read every single word printed about this in the New York Times, yeah. um, which is a lot of words, mm -hmm. and looking for some kind of global, well, like, wow, this whole thing is important. And I didn't get a big, wow, this whole thing is important. There's yeah. there's 14 U.S. soldiers in Ukraine. Uh, they could be- Military personnel. Military personnel. Yeah, uh, they could yeah. be described as boots on the ground. They could also be like, hey, that's what we do at, at sort of embassies or diplomatic mm -hmm. kind of cover. Um it's I mean, not, there's always military at embassies, as as embassy staff, always. And always, that's true. At, uh, Marines, usually. And and uh, there's also, uh, oh, we're spying on our allies. We always spy on our allies. Yes, uh, and our allies always spy on, you think Israel's not spying yeah. on us as much as we're spying on Israel? Jonathan or, Pollard? Probably doing as much. So, like, there was the, the, the underlying there there wasn't a, a huge uh, a shocker to me. And it's, again, I might have uh, missed something in that. And then you have this kid is not a whistleblower at all he's just like a show a bad show off a bad show um who then got caught and then so it becomes more of a meta journalistic squabble between glenn greenwald against the world yeah. <laughs> it's usually yeah. it's a happen, little bit of that happen, happens yeah. to this but i think like and like, tucker carlson against the world yeah. and tucker carlson against the the tucker carlson of 2017 uh, as uh, some people have shown in a lot of clips um i uh my suspicion is that in a week, no one's talking about this, but maybe I'm uh, I'm wrong about it. And well, there's I'm, a couple, I'm a, couple just, of a few small things, and I don't, you know, been, it's been hard to actually get all the documents. There's, yes. there's ones that you see. There's a one map that you constantly see that has the kind of small edge of a hunting guide manual mm -hmm. in the background, which is one of the reasons. It didn't like, seem like he was terribly careful. No, he was snapping photos, exactly of printed documents. Although it also sounds like he was transcribing. Yeah documents or is, is it transcribing when you're looking at a document yeah, yeah, and, copying sure, and it? writing it yeah he the interesting thing though is that that's when you know he's not chelsea manning or right. or i mean there's no not taking any care i mean the most care he's taking is please don't, please don't send share. these to anybody yeah. else it, it, was, sure. it wasn't like hundreds of people on this discord server it was 25 it was, it was a 20 to 25 yeah and then it got picked up by the ruskies and telegram and that's yeah and there was it was sent okay. arrest like somebody several steps removed somebody like, from yeah. that discord put them somewhere else and then yeah. it uh circulates uh on some russian telegram channel there is one image about casualties in which they changed looks rather crudely changed to kind yeah. of flip the casualties that the uh ukrainians had had more than the Russians. make the numbers look better for them yeah uh, but there's a few things that and again keeping in mind that this is from multiple things that i've read but actually haven't seen the documents themselves right. is that um ukrainian air defense positions is not something you should be uh, throwing out there i mean that's mm -hmm. something people don't know where they are the you know, the stuff from the American military where they're speculating that the Great Spring Offensive is going to amount to nothing because this is what the Ukrainians are short of. Right. And therefore, we're petitioning the South Koreans, who are apparently very, very angry about this, to supply the Ukrainians. There is some evidence in there that we're listening to people's communications within the South Korean government. Mm -hmm. In Egypt, um, there's apparently some indication that or well, one hopes is not be able to track down people within the Russian government, administration, military, et cetera, which, who might be providing information to us or mm -hmm. to the Ukrainians. That stuff's pretty troubling uh, that, that that's out there. The Israel stuff is really amazing. It's very strange, yeah. That, that is weird. I mean, that Mossad is 
encouraging the street protests against Netanyahu. Now, again, I haven't seen this document. This is what multiple media accounts have said. And they appear to be our assessments of... Yes, but presumably very informed assessments. But beyond all of this, it's absolutely stunning that this 21-year-old child who probably is... I don't even know if he's able to drink. Yeah, I guess he is. He's 21. He just turned 21. Yeah, but maybe not at the time he was Not at the time when he was doing this. I mean, he could drink, but he's probably going to drink like Camille. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Camille was drinking like that when he was 34. Um, But but, uh, yeah, who's now just of legal age to drink is... In the reserves, the Air Guard, the Air National Guard in Cape Cod, I think it's Camp Otis or something in Cape Cod, and he has access to this. I read somewhere that the classification, this type of classification, is available to over a million people or about mm. a million people. That's yeah. absolutely stunning. And this is the opposite of the book that I've mentioned more times than any other book on the show, which is Pat Moynihan's book, Secrecy, mm. that uh, Yale University Press published in the 90s of the overclassification issue. Our, our yeah. very dear friend Eli Lake has talked about this recently, the overclassification problem. This seems to be an underclassification problem, well, if you ask me. Well, or it may be an overclassification problem as well. I mean, if, if the issue is that in response to the two major leagues, the Bradley-Chelsea-Manning League and the, the Edwards Snowden leak, yeah. the, the push was, well, we need to classify this more highly mm. and more and more things that probably don't require this high level of classification arriving there, yeah. then you often will prop, then you could at least potentially end up in a situation where you're giving this classification to a lot of people, to more and more yeah. people yeah. so yeah. that they can actually have access to some sort of documents. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it also seems like the case that when Biden was asked about this, as he's been traveling in Europe, he kind of downplayed it. And suggested that the documents that came out yeah. don't, don't seem to be particularly problematic. And I, I that's suppose, not entirely true. At least yeah. fr- from some of the stuff that we saw when they're talking about positions, it, it looks like there may not be anything um, more recent than March in the documents that are yeah. currently circulating. Again, we haven't seen everything, haven't so seen, we yeah. don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So in some cases, it doesn't seem that bad. But I suspect he was just trying to downplay this. I think the stuff that seems most scintillating to me does appear to be a lot of the the monitoring and surveilling of allies. Yeah. Like the reporting I was I saw in um, New York Mag about um, the Turkey trying to sell weapons essentially to both sides of the conflict. Yeah. Like doesn't I mean, that's damn NATO it. NATO member. <laughs> uh, and you know, Sisi in Egypt, which is in a, in a second clause of the sentence is left out of a lot of the media reports is they decided against it. It mm-hmm. seems that, that they didn't decide to supply the Russians with, but it was, you know, destructive capability, uh, military hardware. So yeah, they, the, the knowledge of this stuff is, it's amazing. And I think the overstatement on both sides. So the people that are really, really exercised about this are saying it's the biggest, worst leak in modern history. No, it's not. My God, no. From what we know, it's not, number one. And on the other side, there have been, you know, I I saw this thing when Glenn Greenwald was talking to Tucker Carlson, and both of them are saying American troops are engaged in a hot war. That's kind of misleading, wouldn't you think? It's it's untrue. <laughs> and also, we knew that there were Americans the untrue part of this training. And it, so the question you have to ask yourself, too, is if the geographic location of the training being in Ukraine 
or you know advising is a problem because it was very very openly reported a couple of months ago that Ukrainian soldiers were in the UK training with special forces in the UK mm-hmm. they were actually in the UK so we've known this stuff if it, if they're physically in Ukraine is that worse or better it would be a lot worse if they were pulling triggers, right? Mm-hmm. If they were actually, you know, busting off shots. But we forget that in the Cold War, you know, who was supplying the weapons in the civil war in Angola? Who was supplying the weapons in Yemen? Who was supplying the weapons to the to the Sandinistas in Nicaragua? These were not homemade weapons. They were you on the battlefield. You'd pull a you know a, a Czech AK forty seven off of somebody. This is just something that's happened for a very long time. Is it supplying these weapons? You can oppose that. I totally get that. I understand people's opposition to this. I happen to not oppose it, but I understand the opposition. It makes perfect sense to me. But this sense that you know, oh my God, it's just discovered. I mean, Drudge had this banner. U.S. active in you no, know, that's not that's not right. Yeah, yeah. Of course, there are people on the ground there. That doesn't surprise anyone. We've I went back and looked, and there's been multiple references to U.S. advisors on the ground for call the same over yeah. a year. I yeah. mean, I just don't know what the what the news is on that front. Can we go ahead? No, I was going to ask about the the media dynamics. So if you've got something else, talk about that first, and then I want to go back to the point you made earlier. Just just the we have uh, too many actual uh, boots on too many actual pieces of ground that have not been supported by even a blanket authorization of the use of military force. Sure. And actually, one of the positive things coming out of politics because it's sort of bipartisan, and there's been at least one re- repeal of the. Uh, of the Iraq AUMF, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That recently happened. Um, uh, there was an attempt to the, to do the same to sort of uh, positively affirm Congress's ability to say, "Hey, we shouldn't have troops in Syria," and that failed. And if I'm uh, fuzzing up the details, I'm sorry. But like um, uh, those things are important to uh, look at, and th- it involves actual boots involved mm-hmm. in actual conflicts in a way that we don't pay enough attention to. I don't think Ukraine is like that. I think Ukraine is. Um, you know, it's it's high in the popular imagination. It's high in money that we've spent. Uh, it's high in in a lot of different things. Sympathy for the uh, for one side being the victim in this case, and a bunch of other stuff. Waning well, sympathy, I think. Waning sympathy for, to be sure, but still uh, a kind of a, a basic starting point of sympathy. But it's just it's not Vietnam. It's not Korea. It's not all these things where there were actual hot wars. Um, there's there appears to be no. Uh, trigger there that people are people seem to be almost eager that there that there should be some existing. I don't think there there is. You can make an argument that it's inherently escalatory to give that much in aid and weapons and stuff, and that's fine. That's an argument uh, for that. But I don't think fourteen people on the ground constitutes a. a Which, by the way, the UK has more. I think Latvia had more too. I mean, fourteen was in the Latvia's lower. Like, we, we want more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Latvia's like it's like we'll put all of our people there tomorrow. We'll just move the country, the entire country. But on the media thing, uh, is what you were about to Mm -hmm. say, Camille, is that I find, you know, there's so much boring stuff that's made exciting or people try to make it exciting for the purposes of of clicks. And one thing I saw that's not directly related to this, but this morning, you know, YouTube's always serving up these videos in that channel on the right. Mm -hmm. Here's stuff that you might like to watch. They don't know me like they think they know me. That's like (laughs) when your wife finds out you have a second family. That's what what YouTube thinks it knows me, it doesn't. And this top one was a clip from 
Bill Maher's podcast uh-huh. called Club Random. Yeah. I've watched some of it. Some of it's really, really interesting and, and fun. He's had good guests and it's from Brian Cranston to, you know, some uh, political. Are they getting stoned every time? Is that yeah, yeah. Which, is, which sometimes yeah. makes it hard to watch because yeah. <laughs> they're really high. But there was a clip. The clip was uh, from was Russell Brand. Mm. Oh, God. Uh, Russell Brand exposes Upro- Ukraine corruption. You know, I doubt years. it. <laughs> no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't expose. He talks about an article he read in The Guardian yeah. like two years ago about the the Panama Papers, and he totally bungles it. And also, even if Zelensky had some you know money that he was in you know uh, the Bahamas or something, yeah. mm-hmm. the country was still invaded by the Russians. <laughs> but this kind of idea that we have to make something out of nothing, which is increasingly common, and this is a thing that you saw in the Tucker Glenn Greenwald thing, which demands the conflation of this actor. And we don't know much about this Teixeira guy. Right. We, um, don't, we don't know much about his motives. We don't know much but, about but his from motives. From what we can tell, it does not seem to be yes. a, a circumstance where he was motivated to share this information widely. He didn't yes. send it to Greenwald no. or find some other journalist. Like, none of he that. He explicitly happened. said, don't share this, yeah. uh, which is dumb and unbelievably naive that you would say that to a group of like literally 15 year olds. Yeah. So it makes 16 year olds. It makes it hard to argue that he was trying to, you know, publicize this information. That's not how you do it. Let the American people know what was going on. That we kind of found out by accident. And you also don't take pictures of the documents in your bedroom. Yeah. You know, with like, you know, things of gorilla glue in the background. So this is, this is what I wanted to ask about because the tension here, um, and, and there's a couple of different levels of criticism, but it seems that the New York times and Bellingcat in particular, um, Post, almost yeah. like front ran the investigation. You at least yeah. have in the in the reporting this account of journalists showing up at the house talking to mom and dad where yes. the kid lives yes. at home. Um, Impressive. And, yeah. and being there before the FBI. intelligence community swoops in or FBI swoops in yeah. to, to arrest him. Um, and the parents, I guess it was dad who informs the journalists who's inquiring yeah, I think he's probably going to have to see a lawyer, and we suspect that the feds will get here soon. Yeah, yeah. and then the feds show up. Yeah, with you know, with a news a WBZ news helicopter already overhead. Well, yeah. the whole thing apparently a, 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 an FBI surveillance as well. But it, it, I says the questions that come to mind are one: Was there any sort of cooperation between the journalist investigating this story and the feds? We don't have any knowledge of that. It's not clear. I would that that's say probably. But I would I say ninety nine percent sure. No, I suspect they were asking them for comment. And I know from some of the reporting, they're saying, are these legit documents? Are these legit documents? But then the second question becomes whether or not journalists have, and this is part of what um, uh, Greenwald is upset about, whether or not journalists have some obligation to protect the identity. No, it's not a source of, you have a, of you have a, you have someone a, no, who is publishing no, this kind of material. God, no. no, God, and I mean, no. And, and in some cases, like the Bellingcat reporting does not identify him. Nor, does, nor did the Post or the it, Times, I don't think. But it does identify the server that he was using. Yes. Yeah. And it does say he was the person who did this was prob- was the system administrator. Yeah, the feds knew it's that. It's possible to figure this stuff yeah. out. And one has to suspect yeah. They had some idea what was going on. Yeah, I mean, because... Discord had been talking to the feds. I mean, yeah. th- that's what th- the feds said that. That was in the reporting. I don't suspect that all these people were connecting to this Discord server through like the Tor network every time mm-hmm. or even like a basic VPN. They got to people very quickly, interviewed them. They knew exactly who this person was almost immediately. Mm-hmm. You did not need the New York Times. What's impressive is that the New York Times did it. They don't have the subpoena power. They don't. They can't go to Discord and say, give us the IP addresses of everybody on this. They actually had to do some reporting mm-hmm. and they were like matching images and things like that. It's pretty impressive. But no, they don't have an obligation for anything. 
thing. It's you have an obligation to your sources, right? Mm-hmm. If it's Chelsea Manning, if it's Edward Snowden, yes, you right. absolutely do. That's right. what you do as a journalist. You say, I will protect you if you give me this information, which is in the public interest. That's totally fine. If there is somebody who's 21 years old out there is like trying to be the OG and trying to like impress 16 year olds by flooding the zone with the stuff, you want to know who it is and what their, what their motivation is. They, they did not publish his name. Nobody published his name until the feds came after him. Nobody. And so going out and like Tucker saying, this is an outrage. They're publishing this. They're, they're, they're going after this. This is not the, the, the journalist's job. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. The journalist's job is to f- find out who this person is and why are they doing it. He became a public figure when he likely broke the law and leaked a bunch of stuff. That's just he did. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. And so if you've now become a public figure – um, one of the things that journalism wants to do is try to figure out who, who you are and what are your potential motivations. It's There's nothing strange about that. I think that no, Glenn no. Um, is reacting um, uh, a little bit to the, the tenor and the emphasis as much as anything else, mm-hmm. a perceived amount of glee in reporting. And, and you'll see in, in, uh, in Glenn's criticism – um, he will look at people, and I think he's right to do uh-huh, this. Uh-huh. Uh, the same people who like were congratulating themselves by, like journalists, uh, by you know using um, video matching and and uh, image matching to identify January sixth defendants, right? And like high fiving themselves, and like uh, and you know that oh hey look this was used in in a prosecution, mm-hmm. uh, yay team yay for us. There's mm-hmm. something kind of that feels wrong and unseemly about that. I think that's right. Um, yeah. Especially the expression of. Glee right mm-hmm. yep. not even like the work itself is is legitimate work yeah um uh depending on what you're doing with it but uh so uh, you know and that this is sort of the first or the what seems to be the emphasis in a lot of the, the new york times and washington post reporting at the beginning um i think it's part of that and mm-hmm. glenn's also pointing out that they're making errors including the uh, errors of comparison right, right, right. to what's happened in the past and what was and, that what was that doing error? stealth editing to uh well yeah they do that all the time to uh, to uh cover it up but it what was, was the comparison that he was upset about it was uh the, the compare it was comparison to the snowden link leaks yeah um and they're just really aren't they're, they're very different and yeah. and like uh and they but then again they he's were treating disc- it as if it's snowden too which it isn't um, yeah. uh, just their description of the chain of command wh- where snowden like sent and to who and who received it and whatever sure. was just uh, inaccurate and they've yeah. they've since uh, they've since cleaned that up there's there was something else i wanted to ask because one of the things that glenn also raised is that there there was different treatment by journalists of leakers when it is kind of an official unofficial but somewhat sanctioned leak that mm-hmm. runs in the right direction. So when you're getting specific kind of information about mm-hmm. ongoing investigations yeah. where the nefarious character at the center of this investigation might be, say, the former president of the United States, you publish that somewhat gleefully. There isn't any interest in outing the source or figuring out who the source is, even if you aren't the journalistic organization that was responsible for getting that material. Mm-hmm. And certainly it, it can be suggested that there is – um, an obvious, an obvious um, benefit to the public in knowing what the motivations of those leakers are as mm-hmm. well, in the same way that there might be some benefit in knowing what the motivation of this leaker is. And it seems to me that that is a fair point. But there is a kind of material difference between that circumstance and this circumstance. I mean, if those documents were winding up on a Minecraft server or on, on, a, on a, at least a what Discord a server related to Minecraft, and if the Russians had similarly, again, gotten those documents first – 
and modified them and then published them mm. essentially to, to get some kind of misinformation like out into the public. Like this is a, a different sort of thing yeah. than the someone from the state department secretly leaking some classified materials to mm. journalists. This is something that happens. It's something that people probably ought to be more aware of. It may in fact run in the direction of the bias of certain journalists, but the, but there's a meaningful distinction between those sure, two things yeah. that I think is, is probably justifiable on some level. And so. I think there's also a thing that doesn't happen that I would like to see happen a lot more, and, and, and I think I can speak for Taibi and Greenwald on, on this as well, is that people who are the recipients of leaks mm-hmm. um, that turn out not to be true, mm. um, that turn out, we know that they're yep. uh, untrue yep. enough that you know that the leak was sort of intentional to try to get you, the journalist, to say, to mischaracterize an ongoing investigation or to mischaracterize somebody out there. Those people should be burned, especially when they are anonymous to begin with. Mm. You, uh, I've always, when I'm in a position of uh, editing um, uh, publication, I've always tried to institute the maximum amount of of uh, sort of dolling up the description of someone who wishes to remain anonymous. Yeah. It's like, let's say, let's let's describe uh, his position as much as we can. Um, and then also very importantly, describe why they did not want to be named. Yes. If you, if you impose that as a requirement, you will find out that, I don't know, 75% at least of anonymous sources are the journalists being lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, because it'll be that they didn't really care if they were named or not, but the journalist uh, had someone who gave a quote that fit in the direction that they wanted to and there wasn't really a good uh, reason for it Um, or if you say you know with more specificity about where they work and also like why they really didn't want to be named um, it it would be uh, this person who works in this branch of government who did not want to be named because he was pointing something at an institutional rival it like it just melts things away Mm -hmm. if you had more disclosure up in the front you would need this less and it would be more helpful but more importantly also when you get burned and we see this with the Trump Russia stuff is more than anything and Taibbi has published a huge huge uh, uh, bits over the last week or two about times that MSNBC laundered as truth uh, accusations made from the Hamilton 68 or whatever the hell it's called uh, project they're just throwing accusations (laughs) about various people who are allegedly like on the payroll of, of the Ruskies or in cahoots and none of it was true and like and asking where where have we gone to get uh, those stories rolled back? Where have where have they turned around on the source who fed them this and said uh, this person fed this to me and it was wrong and now I'm going to out them? I mean they haven't, and of course it's been very effective because we until there was massive pushback from people like Taibbi and Greenwald and give them credit where where credit is due here. The general sense and instinct was not about specific stories. It was not about Carter Page. It was the general idea and the feeling that this administration, and this being the Trump administration, was basically in coots with the Russians. It was basically an arm of the FSB, a foreign intelligence operation that arrived on Pennsylvania Avenue. I mean, that's just the feeling that everyone had. And to question that in maybe 2018 was to be like, what, you don't? You don't know about all this reporting? I mean, I, at the beginning, you know, was just as guilty as anybody else, thinking like, good Lord, there's a lot of this stuff out there from people that I tend to believe are reputable journalists. And I learned some some pretty valuable lessons there. But as far as, you know, what Camille is saying, you know, I think that Greenwald 
is right about it being directional based on who's doing the leaking and what the subject of the story is. But there's nothing strange about that because mm -hmm. that's everything in media. Mm -hmm. That is every story being reported, underreported, overreported, you know, misreported, overemphasized yep. is always based. Yeah. yeah, it's always based on some sort of political motivation. So that doesn't really surprise me terribly. The Washington Post thing. That, that was, um, I think, Sam Oakford and somebody else that wrote that piece. Nobody was identified. Nobody. There wasn't, everybody was granted anonymity, like 15-year-olds were granted an anonymity. Mm -hmm. They knew the name of this guy. It seems pretty clear. They did not release that. If they went to the FBI with that name, that is a problem. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I would be very, very, you know, I would say you probably should lose your job over that. That's not your, your job as a journalist is not to go ratting people out to the FBI. Is right. To, investigate stuff. And if you make deals with people and say, okay, look, tell me what happened on this discord server. We're not going to release anyone's name. This is kind of the negotiation. That's, that's fine. That's perfectly normal. One of the reasons that I think it is important for a journalist to go out and find out who this person is and find out. So what they did, as far as I can tell, and, and please tell me if I'm wrong, because I might be, and I might've missed something. It's all happened rather quickly is that nobody released his name until the arrest happened, until the FBI went after this guy. Knowing that this person exists and is a young person in the military, and you say that, that's important. Because if we're going to trust you, that eliminates an entire narrative that had been developing online. There were a number of people that I saw suggesting that this was maybe a fake character invented by a foreign intelligence agency. Mm -hmm. So OG was a guy sitting in a troll farm in St. Petersburg, uh, for instance, and that this was a massive, that they were you know, sowing chaos in planting these things here and there, starting it here in a very elaborate thing and then dropping it here too to, you know, cover their tracks in a pretty, that turned out not to be true at all, but it turned out not to be true. Um, and we knew that before the FBI moved in because uh, a couple of journalists and, and I think it was Shane Harris, maybe is the one at the Washington Post that reported that. And I think it's important to know that had the FBI not moved in so quickly, You'd have people talking about, uh, you know, on Rachel Maddow's show or something, people who tend to su suspect the Russians are behind their curdled milk uh, would, you know, probably be going with this narrative uh, still. Yeah. So. Should we talk a little bit about Tennessee? Tennessee. Tennessee three. Tennessee. Tennessee. <laughs> Lord, I know you. Tennessee three. I think it's the Tennessee two, really. Well, yeah. Why they put that white lady in there? Uh, <laughs> she didn't get three because of, because of racism. Three sounds better get, than yeah. two, I suppose. Um, but yeah, it's the Tennessee two. There's two guys named Justin. I think is correct. Is that right? The Justin. There is Justin one and Justin two. And <laughs> <laughs> Justin one and Justin two, who were expelled. From yes. the state house yes. um, after participating in and helping, I suppose, to to foment yeah. a, a particularly disruptive protest in the legislature mm -hmm. and defying the rules of the legislature. Yeah. There was and one outside the legislature yeah. at the time. Yeah. And there was a, a move by Republicans in the state to expel not just these two young men, but these two young men and a woman named uh, Gloria something another yeah. um, was also um, Gloria White Lady. involved in this um, because she played some role in, in the same events. Um, but that has been met largely with public outrage mm -hmm. 
certainly on the part of many, 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 many Democrats, certainly broadly on the part of journalists, but definitely also from some right of center people who see this as a bit of an overreach. Is this this was kind of performative and unnecessary on some level? Whether or not there should have been some punishment for these guys is probably something we could should talk about. But I think the protest was also performative and unnecessary, with, without a doubt. But the uh, most uh, well, uh, protest with, with bullhorns at your place of work, <laughs> yeah, yeah, is performative. But the well, I've, most, I've done that at work before. But the most yeah. recent, I've gone in and be like, I cannot believe the snacks. <laughs> have gone to budget cuts. <laughs> that happened but, once. The, but the most recent the development is that local officials have voted to send both of these yes. expelled men back yes. to the state legislature. So it Which is they have that, an interesting yeah, story. Yeah. It's been interesting to watch these two these two guys. I, also, I want to call them kids. I don't 26 and 27, yeah. But these two kids become these national celebrities on the left. Um, and the two of them both have this... Um, uh, 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 affect that they, <laughs> <laughs> wow. when they're, when they're, he's when about they're to do there. a racism. I feel yeah. it. No, it's, it's not, not. No, there's one, nothing. It can't be racist. No, it's just, <laughs> I mean, when you have a video of you being like, uh, you know, so yeah. I'm here at Bowdoin University, and the next one's like, I can't believe it's like, it's, you gotta, I mean, that's, you gotta point it out. No, this is, <laughs> the people no, who aren't pointing it out are noticing it and just afraid yeah. to point it out. At a minimum, we have a name for this. It's called code switching. Yeah. I mean, one of the young men was a former Bowdoin student who, there it's is a, a student government campaign video that has been circulating pretty widely where he sounds remarkably different and he also doesn't have the big afro um, that he had before and he doesn't seem to be doing the near kind of falling out and fainting when he's giving a speech oh my god essentially disrobing as he's gesticulating <laughs> in front of a it's, a, a it's Arsenio in, in you know, coming to America he's screaming <laughs> screaming the same phrase over and over and over yeah. again to the roar of a crowd who's also participating and you know that the, that was a very different sort of affect I mean he's essentially at that point clergyman slash politician that, yeah. that older student government video was him obviously trying to be the more obama-esque well, he talks in that video about like as a student government president i'll bring conservatives and liberals together yeah we'll come Literally together we'll work we'll work the radical middle i think is a phrase yeah, yeah. Right yeah. yeah. which is like yeah i suppose it's kind of radical now not so much then no no, yeah. no. So, i mean this this is is an interesting dimension but I'll say this very quickly because, again, we, we may be a little pressed for time later. I don't see any evidence whatsoever that what happened here with their expulsion was a function of race. It doesn't seem no. like the, the disparate treatment of the other state legislator, no. state legislator who wasn't expelled was at all motivated by race. It seemed as though she made an actual argument and had attorneys who were arguing on. Yes. Yeah, literally she played a lesser role. Yeah. Said she didn't use a bullhorn. She sat quietly. Else. She didn't shout anyone down. And I mean, she that was the yes, argument. That was her, her argument. And she, yes. as she kind of narrowly escaped being thrown out one vote. <laughs> so <laughs> apparently there's just, we have to find that one racist because everyone else was like, I mean, let's get rid of her. And then is, one was like, all right, I guess her public explanation of this over and over again is the reason I was treated differently because I'm a white lady is because is because I'm a white woman. Yeah. And they are black, yeah. which in which case it doesn't really matter that you're a woman, although given the role of the patriarchy and their contempt for women, they probably should have gotten rid of you. Also, that's well also mentioned by the that Jason, the for Justin, that reason. Jason's yeah. Right <laughs> so it, it's a bizarre situation and kind of comical on any number of levels. I wonder, you know, if either one of these kids is going to try to use this as a, a platform to run for higher office. And of I have course. to imagine they yeah. both will. They're, they're <laughs> almost they're, immediately. I mean, they, they went. 
went from like zero or like a hundred Twitter followers to like a million in like a it's week. It's the best thing. It's incredible. It's amazing. I love it. What yeah. was the name of the woman in Texas, a Democrat? Who oh, gave, the abortion lady. Yeah, who gave yeah. like a 75-hour filibuster. Oh my God, it's not to my Wendy. Wendy uh, something. Wendy yeah. something. Wendy uh, Davis? Wendy Davis. There you yeah. go. Good yeah. memory. Um, despite the- uh, Despite the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> all the drugs. Um, I, I think- I Maybe think the drugs are helping me. The record of like- state nobody politicians who suddenly become fixtures of national Steve fascination um, <laughs> is like it's it's a hundred percent like it ends in tears mm. like there's i can't i can't really think of one who and this could be in politics this could be you know a kid um in the middle of uh, uh, a contestable the contested moment some of the survivors of school shootings and some example like people mm. become these uh national political celebrities and everyone invests uh in one side or the other on them it just always ends up bad well for um, whom I, generally Hog those people write about? books yeah. make a lot of money they enjoy their prominence for it, no, some it, time it, it ends badly for longer. the people who invested a bunch of faith in them that yeah. they would make any difference at all except to their own bottom line mm -hmm. yeah. um, that they would be these agents of change let's not forget what is at the heart of all of this is that there was a horrible shooting in Nashville mm -hmm. and a lot of Democrats in Tennessee and especially the rest of the country, were uh, horrified that Republicans are not reacting to mass shootings by implementing policies that Democrats favor and Republicans don't. Um, and that's what happened <laughs> again. Happens most every single time in that mm -hmm. way. There's very few measures that are on the table at any given point um, that have bipartisan support mm -hmm. among the public at large um, let a, and or the uh, or legislatures as well. Uh, so uh, this happened again. And um, I keep hearing this is like, you know, these the Justins are these great uh, avatars and defenders of democracy. Mm. No, that's not what happened here. What happened was that they lost a political argument mm -hmm. and they responded to losing a political argument by holding a protest at work with bullhorns to scream. Um, that is not a win for democracy. That is an expression that you lost and you're a sore loser about it and wanted to make a stink. Uh, the Republicans, I think, reacted stupidly by expelling them that very stupid you expel somebody yes. when they do something really really bad they steal something when they commit some kind of of crime or treason or things like that on the national level there's a very short list of, of people who've been expelled from uh congress uh for things and almost all of them were confederates who like did the confederacy mm. so it's time to expel you you did you made the wrong choice there you we're going to expel you like you're not going to expel george santos you shouldn't i googled uh, this by the way of who had been expelled recently and the only one i, c I came up with was a guy expelled from from the state house in Oregon uh, for letting protesters in through the side door in a protest where they came into the kind of mini January six, but nothing even close to as bad. And he he kind of held the door open for them. And I think he had t tweeted or something or, or said something uh, like, you know, just show up, maybe Come you can get down. in. And uh, and I think it was unanimous vote to to expel him. And uh, but that was for by the way to create a protest within a state house. But the thing is, the, the thing you said at the beginning is, is right, is that everyone's losing sight of what this is about. Because what it's been made about is, as Camille points out, is it's about race. Despite the fact that there's no evidence that it's about race at all, right? It's a, it's a perfectly manufactured fake crisis, right? You go in there, you're with bullhorns, 
you're freshmen, you're brand new. These guys have been in. And by the way, one of these guys had been, I think, arrested for throwing a cup of coffee on the speaker or some, some member. Uh, like it was in like a, there was like a, in an uh, elevator, the door was closing and he was arguing. He threw a cup of coffee on the guy. I mean, these guys have come in there trying to create some havoc. Okay, fine. Provided you do that within the rules, then okay. You want to you be a grandstander? You're AOC. Fine. But the thing about this is that there has been the governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee. It's Bill Lee, right? Or am I just thinking of a Red Sox pitcher? It is Bill Lee. I think yeah, it's, it's Bill close Lee. enough. If it's yeah, yeah, yeah. He he is supporting pretty vocally um, red flag laws now. He signed a bill for increased background checks. Does this stuff do anything? Probably not. You know, I would say that my, my guess is no, but there's some action. But the, the response to that is, well, there should be different action that we like. Okay, well, the Tennessee legislature has a Republican supermajority. And for everyone to say, in the number of times I heard this, of these guys saying it themselves, people saying it on cable news, particularly on MSNBC, that democracy is a threat. No, democracy is working. Like, I think they overreached, but what they did was within the rules. And sending them back was also within the rules. So this is a democratic uh, process. I don't think it's the right one. I think it was incredibly stupid for Republicans to do that. But they're going to lose any vote. So their time... They kept on getting up there and doing these 20-minute orations, and they were cut off after a certain time, right? And said, you know, this, this heist will come to order. And they said, this is unfair. You're silencing us. And they go with the bullhorns, and they say, well, the procedure, we don't like the procedure. We don't like the fact that we can't actually get a bill passed here that we agree with because there's a supermajority. So therefore, we're going to do this. They get thrown out. The day after thrown out. I went through all this footage because I was became briefly fascinated by the, <laughs> this amazing rise of these complete clowns. And the guy had said, one of them, I can't remember the, the last names, but one of them had said that um, this is the end of democracy. Democracy has disappeared in Tennessee. Democracy's disappeared, right? But but they're back. So apparently democracy came back. And then um, this- Only because they fought so hard. This is an assault uh, on democracy by, and this is the one I noted down, um, this is, we're losing our democracy to white supremacy and patriarchy. That's oh. what the, the, one of the Jasons said, the one who was at Bowdoin going, you know, I really appreciate everything, you know, the Eddie Murphy <laughs> voice. And then all of a sudden it's like, you got to watch this stuff. You got to watch him preach. It is deranged. It's not even like the, the code switch, which is, which is actually embarrassing. The last one that we sent to each other mm -hmm. the one they're outside mm -hmm. when he's coming back was one of the most embarrassing things no it's really bad because it's like someone doing a bad impression of a yeah, preacher yeah. this is not how preachers so talk like you yeah 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 no it's, it's me <laughs> somebody sent an email to us it was like does this remind you of anyone and they're like he's talking about me yeah because it was really it was really so over the top and so embarrassing that like nobody actually does this but it was like this guy's impression of what a real kind of inner city preacher who he is who went to Bowdoin um, <laughs> what they sound like and the whole thing is just unbelievably stupid political theater and the fact that everyone's falling for it I mean Andrea Mitchell I sent you that thing when she is interviewing this guy and gives mm -hmm. this preamble about how amazing and she seems like she's choked up at one yeah. point how amazing uh, he is it didn't seem legit to me it didn't, I know it's fucking yeah. phony I mean it's like weren't you married to Alan Greenspan <laughs> isn't that right still she's, uh, right is, now. Is, is she still married to him is he, is he alive or is he dead ah, who knows? Yeah. I think he might be dead if he's not let's take care of that today um, <laughs> let's go let's he's go. not dead you sure 
I'm, I'm going to check. We haven't heard from it's him. It's like the George Michael thing. Every week we're going to have someone. Yeah, not, wait. At least <laughs> I'm not sure. No, I think he, if he's not dead. He's not dead. Somebody should check on him. He's not dead. Because uh, uh, I haven't heard from him. What's she putting? Is she putting insulin in his coffee or something? <laughs> I don't think he's around. But he's 97. He's 97, yeah. Up there. And he used to hang out with Iron Rand. And yeah, now. Very is, much still married. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but, you know, and then pr- pr- prior to that, she, that lead in from Andrea Mitchell, and I'll put the audio in here was Michael Steele, who is one of the great frauds of his generation. You only say that because he's a black man. No, I say that because (laughs) you cannot be the head of the RNC and then all of a sudden have no conservative beliefs whatsoever none it's like no you're just the you're just somebody trying to make money and you know that people like you on msnbc being this guy being this kind of i'm a conservative but i'm not you know it's like the fox news liberal it was always like doug Schoen and people like that and trump Cadell. years Cadell, yeah trump years have brought out a number of people like that though yeah but you in, but in he, his defense uh, to the extent i can no, no no i see i disagree with that yeah. in in one key way is that okay. if you're if you're somebody who's been completely alienated by the trump years the Trump administration is an administration, and it's even worse now in the ramping up to 2024. It is a group of people who don't have any conservative principles the way they looked 10 years ago when mm. when when uh, uh, Michael Steele was the head of the Republican Party. Yeah. Free market stuff, you know, mm-hmm. free trade stuff. Just general, I mean, even if it's military power, which, which you know, Republicans used to love exerting military power all around the world, you could go back to that and say, well, I'm the real Republican and you're a phony. He just sounds, and he was just... Talking to this, he's like, you are, you are the best. You are what democracy is all about. So democracy is all about disrupting democracy. After you lose an argument. After you lose an argument. In a representative chamber. Yes. In the, which- Where people were elected- Yes. To represent um, voters. But that's hard to go and arguments. change their minds, right? That's election by election. You got to go out there and make sure the people of Tennessee, it's like, these are people who are so shocked because they're like- come from these elite universities. They're very young. They clearly don't know how this works. I mean, there's been a number, there's a number of quotes from these guys that were like, I can't believe, this guy said the microaggressions of being there. There was, do you see this? The micro and macroaggressions. He said, you know, you, you come in there and you talk about everyone being a racist and then no one will talk to you. The microaggressions, like, <laughs> it's called fucking politics, dude. Yeah. It's like, sorry to do the cliche Tip O'Neill that politics ain't beanbag, but Jesus Christ, grow a pair. There's throw, uh, throwing coffee cups at your colleagues. Yeah, or, or at least yeah, yeah. into the elevator. Yo, is that like a super macroaggression? Yeah. <laughs> There's a, a piece in The Atlantic that I recommend people read by Derek Thompson, and I'd send it to you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out yesterday. We're recording this on a Friday afternoon. And uh, where he's talking about uh, uh, the difference between front yard politics and backyard mm. politics. And the mm. uh, opening conceit of it is that, you know, he lives in D.C. Um, or the suburbs and uh, and people in their front yards, you know, say we welcome immigrants here was his uh, case. Mm. And then um, and then the same people. And this is back like when I guess Ukrainian uh, refugees were coming in. And then he noticed that the um, uh, the refugee settlement agency then the government was sending out uh communications to incoming refugees like don't go to washington because it's super expensive and the housing uh, policies are such that it's not likely to be accepting uh refugees so derek thompson's point is that the front yard politics are this Mm -hmm. um it's a way of displaying it's a way of signaling to people that you're one of the good people and then in your backyard where the stuff really matters Mm. you're not actually backing policies that go in that direction and i I think the the article was going in a different direction i just figured that was euphemism uh you know <laughs> no nope. i know derek a little bit you know he, 
Uh, oh boy! Uh, <laughs> just gonna skate straight I'm gonna, over those. Those. I'm gonna cut everyone's I mic can't. there and just let that just. <laughs> yeah, I just, put a, put a very long pause. <laughs> but there was a there's a whole bunch of other things besides in that. But it gets to one of the problems of nationalizing politics instead yeah. of uh, fixing stuff in your own back in your literal own backyard. Um, but also the disinterest that people have when they're uh, in their political consumption and expression mode of tethering any of it to the actual process of governing and the actual results of the policies that you favor. Mm -hmm. Like there's just such a tether from that. And so that's part of the function of cable news these days um, is um, it is uh, spoon feeding people this sense. It wants you to keep having that political consumption where mm-hmm. it's it's all front yard politics. Like, I like those guys. They're good guys. They're the future of democracy. Let's not pay any attention to anything that they have done yeah. or are proposing or are is the background of the laws in play or this is the majority. No, no, no story t- talks about that, by the way. Not no, one. Not, no story talks about what they have proposed. I went and was like, okay, so what is the bill that they put forward that was shot down? I couldn't find anything. And it looks as if there was just, just grandstanding, but cable news in the real extreme way. I'm not saying cable news, maybe CNN 10 years ago or whatever, that is just like, we're going to have some people who actually believe things come on and talk about the issues of the day as we inform you as like, you know, the BBC news hour does, you know, and they have, they have people come on and they talk you know, their opinions, but they're telling you, they're giving you a sense of what's going on in the world. But the, the, what cable news became and very few people notice because it, it just happens so gradually. It's like you don't notice yourself aging. You just like, wait, you look at an old picture, you're like, holy fuck, I used to look like that two years ago. <laughs> and now I look like this. This slow process, people have not realized that cable news in that extreme sense, MS, Fox, whatever, one America moron network or whatever it is, they have a, an overriding principle. And the overriding principle, maybe not even obvious to them, is the same thing that happens when you write a, a screenplay or write a television show. You hand that in, they're like, you know, look, these characters are all one-dimensional. I'm not rooting for any of them. Can you punch this up? Can you make it so there's like a hero shot and then there's this big... They need that. Mm-hmm. They can't have some banal... So these guys come in and they're like you guys just saved democracy in Tennessee. It's like, no, no, that's actually the opposite of what's true. You guys went and tried to disrupt democracy and said that patriarchy was the reason that you couldn't get gun... What? Like, honestly, what are you talking about? No one is actually analyzing the real stuff because that would be what a news network would do. In this case, Andrea Mitchell and Michael Steele blubbering all over somebody in creating these heroes, like unbelievable heroes. And then they, and then they do, they, they fall right into place. They play their character. You have the guy at Bowden and now he's like, I can't believe Tennessee. <laughs> Arrested Development told us about Tennessee in 1991 and they were not wrong. And it's like, I, what the fuck is he, he doing? Who that, is this dude? He does that deliberate stammer. Oh yeah, yeah. Ah, ah, ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Come on, man. Yeah, yeah, he's thinking. He's like, what do I say next? Um, it's, it's funny that there's a tether between the first story we talked about and the aspect of the Tennessee story we're talking about in that 
the, and, and I think you sent it earlier today, the Marjorie Taylor Greene tweet oh my God. about the kid in Texas in which she, she describes him as white male Christian and anti-war. That makes him an enemy of the Biden regime. And he mm. told us the truth about the troops being on the ground in Ukraine and a lot more. Very vague because nobody. He didn't tell anybody anything. <laughs> Ask you. He told a 15-year-old that he was cool. <laughs> and he said, don't tell. He said, don't tell. He said, don't tell. But I'm fucking cool. Don't tell. Yeah. But she goes on. Ask yourself who is the real enemy. A young, low-level National Guardsman or – and I'm, I could read the rest, but I, I won't. But how about he's not an enemy? He's just somebody who, who violated his – you know, he signed an NDA and, like, you, you have to abide by that and you're going to get punished. No one's saying that he's going to go to Guantanamo. I don't think that's going to happen. But it's, it's also insane. The, it's the projection of what you want to be true onto yes. everything, if that's what your yeah. – the connection is that he's, anti, he's anti-war. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. It, 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 I haven't seen and, any and evidence does, of that. There does, seem to be. Be, there does seem to be some element of that. There's also, I, and it's funny, like the narratives around this, even in the, in the mainstream press, and we don't know a lot, so some of it is speculative, but that the, the, the kids on the server were pro-Russia. Um, also, certain there were some describing that were, them as racists. Well, there were some um, that appeared to be from Russia. Or you, there was like well, on one, different, one on Ukraine. Some of the different no, On that 20, 2025 one, I saw a report that said there was one kid from Ukraine, okay. one, one Russian kid. And uh, I think they were pretty broad-minded. Didn't discriminate. Great. <laughs> great OPSEC. I think they're great OPSEC. But, perfect. It was a perfect it was OPSEC. Perfect. It was amazing. <laughs> the best. But it's fucking nuts for, for her to say these things. Also, can you, do you remember, and I'm not saying this is a right thing or a wrong thing, a good position or a bad one, but do you remember when conservatives were not like, hey, people in the military, why don't you violate the code of conduct to the most extreme way on a private server of 15-year-olds? Yeah. In, because I yeah. gleaned somewhere in there that you might be anti-war, which was not your motivation for this, by the way. Because if that was the motivation, he would have released it. No, it, it seems like he was just kind of stunting for his friends. Yeah, still, exactly. Yeah, exactly. He wanted to impress some young boys, which... You know, maybe you just want to be cool. Maybe you have some other darker White motives. Christian we don't know. Too. It's like, no, that's not why he's being, he's being quote unquote persecuted. Yeah. His, you're worse than the other ones. You're worse than the people that you supposedly hate by somehow bringing race into this. At the, the same tactic. Completely yeah. unnecessary. Yeah. And Christian, he's like a Catholic kid from Massachusetts. Let's not sleep on the word regime. I don't think we spent enough time just like uh, uh, flagging that one. Yeah. There, uh, some, as soon as someone starts talking about yes. the regime in America. I mean, I like the word. Go ahead. Of course, because uh, yeah. you're one of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Camille Taylor. I mean, for just me, it's put a bit in, of a rhetorical put, flourish. Put, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, you can just like put At in the At least I'm not. Not. You know, not uh, uh, well, come on now. I'm the regime. The 15% <laughs> discount. Somebody talk to me now. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Yeah, you were saying about the regime. Justin is it won. the Obama regime or the Biden regime Doesn't or the matter. Trump regime? If you if you use the word regime, yeah, you yeah. are telling on yourself. That's a tell. What That's did I wait? What did I tell? Yeah, you did tell me that that I can discount fifteen percent of what yeah. you say. The first as an first, opening opening yeah. bit. The first fifteen. No, fifteen minutes. Five, five. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd say that's I'd say that's fair. I'd say that's probably yeah. better than most people. Yeah, quite frankly. <laughs> Because half the stuff you say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Can you, can you do the rest of this, Camille, in that same cadence? In the, in the, in the pastoral cadence? Yeah, yeah. As long yeah. as, he, as, long as <laughs> he doesn't stutter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I'm yeah. one of the singing preachers, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I mostly just do altar yeah. call and the tithes and offering thing. But you know, by the way, when I saw Reverend Wright... During the 2008 campaign, yes. I was like, God damn America. Yeah, not God bless America. <laughs> God damn America. I didn't think he was a phony. No. I just thought he was like, even if I hadn't seen I mean, the Odin video. And it's like, rehearsed. He's actually, like he's it. pretty good at he's it. He's pretty good at it. Yeah. But that's like kind of right. For, it's it a, that's a thing. Sense. That is a thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. But he, that last one where he's like, he's, he's just literally good. fucking James good. Browning where people are like putting a, putting a cape over him. He's like, <laughs> get off me, get it off me. I got more to say. You have I fake, got more to fake say. sweat. I forget who, who said this. Maybe it was Red Steez or somebody like that on, uh, on the internet. But, uh, he's when, very funny. Uh, he can be very funny. Um, uh, and he was linking to one of those videos. And he's mm-hmm. like, again, I have to say that we have a serious uh, plague in this country of uh, theater kids. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's totally true. It's so, we were talking yeah. before we started, James O'Keefe. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. Like the, yes, the yeah. theater yeah. kid. Yeah, he just wants to dance yeah. to Prince. And he did. And then he got fired from his own company. So I don't know how that <laughs> Yeah, We really don't know much about that like Project Veritas no. thing and like why they exploded or whatever. No, they fired him. And yeah, yeah I, I just was never interested in them yeah, as, a, as an outlet. Yeah. Because I as mean, we were talking about, yeah. it's like the premise of it is if you... Can, if I have something that they want to know or they want to embarrass me, yeah. they just put a hot girl in front of me and that person can make me literally say anything. <laughs> it's like, congratulations, James O'Keefe. You've realized I'm a scumbag. Or, or lie. And I'm going to lie to that amazingly beautiful woman. She's yeah. like, you know what I don't think is real? The Holocaust. I'm like, baby, that shit is fake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what, and that's what we're like, the Uber's pulling up to her apartment. James O'Keefe's inside in a pimp outfit with a camera. And I'm like, oh, fuck, I knew it. It's too easy. This is too easy. I'm old. This shouldn't be this easy. <laughs> I can't believe it was that easy. <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, the good old days. The good old days. And Man, all... people are fucking ridiculous. Media outlets. But by the why has nobody asked him about that? Well, I guess he only goes on Democracy Now! and MSNBC, the two Jasons. Oh. Is it not a fair question? Justin's. Uh, Justin's, sorry. Yeah, it sorry. starts with J. Yeah, they all look J. alike, yeah. is what he said. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. No, they all sound <laughs> like that. Um, no. But like, why, why, would that be a fair question to somebody to ask that like, I know the answer, by the way. Mm. I've already formulated his answer. Okay. That in a climate of white supremacy at Bowdoin, which is yeah. clearly the waspiest school yeah. in the Northeast, um, you had to fit in mm-hmm. and fake it. Um, and that, that was not him. It seemed fake, actually. Was that? It just seemed like him. It seemed like him. I, yeah. I, that's more him than <laughs> yeah. fainting in the crowd yeah. <laughs> on top of a car, giving a speech to like assembled. There's like 100 people there. 98 of them were from MSNBC. <laughs> Michael Steele's in the front with his arms up. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael Steele. Take God. me to the water. Yeah. Oh, Tim Scott, God. by the way, speaking of black Republicans. And that were we? exploratory, okay. well, Michael Steele. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, well, this current black Republican, yeah. <laughs> former one. But, you know, so you saw Tim Scott no. announced his exploratory committee for president. Oh, is that right? Yeah. 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 This might be his time. I don't know. <laughs> He's got to, I mean, I went to see Tim Scott speak for a piece that I was doing, and um, he was, he was, it was at a church um, in South Carolina, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is he from South Carolina? I don't know. He's from a Carolina. Yes, I know he is. He's South Carolina. Yeah. 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 And uh, and he was good. He was he was really good. He had the crowd. I mean, he was. You said he was clean and articulate. Uh, he was quite filthy, actually. But, um, <laughs> Working below in the church. church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did a whole prior routine, <laughs> penitentiary. Um, yeah, I thought I thought he was uh, pretty impressive. Yeah, um, but you know, I, th- it's it's an interesting other person throwing their hat in against Trump. Mm-hmm. He gave um, uh, the return address state of the union thing one of these years this mm-hmm. year or the year before yeah which i always thought was priming him for this yeah. um and it was pretty good it yeah, was yeah. Pretty good. like uh just sort of like a basic kind of class solidarity type of uh yeah. speech that you don't hear that much anymore without it sounding really 
uh, Grizzly and Steve Bannon-esque. Steve Bannon-esque, by the way, who uh, um, is I'm reading about him on the LouRockwell.com site, so it must be true. Ooh, yeah. Uh, is, uh, is, Did he shoot Kennedy? He's identifying the uh, the fifth column uh, as the problem. Uh, yes. Sadly, it wasn't us, yeah. but that uh, you know America is beset with internal enemies. So the regime is coming after all of us. This is, this is by the, the language that is used <laughs> by every dictatorship. <laughs> it's like the internal, we have to squash the internal enemies, yeah. which is when they shut down free speech and shut down. Just, and that, that just was, a historical analog, I'm just saying. And that's part of uh, Trump's opening gambit, like his, uh, his initial speeches about his 24 campaign, which I get we're all kind of in denial about or just trying to pretend it's not happening. Um, but that, that's the type of language that he's using. There's a lot of internal enemies stuff. So it's... Real, uh, it's real not great, Bob. Well, we, we've got a little bit more time. So I wanted to ask about the situation in France, uh, Matt, because you have some exciting, some unique insights into the situation. But I, I, I saw your daughter is there a tweet from She's back here now, but yeah, is she well, going back. Uh, she will be going back. Um, uh, 14 year old. She's on uh, spring break here to watch uh, Coco get her first communion and to yeah. enjoy Coney Island and, and all of its, uh, glory but uh she was talking smack about the french oh really stuff. she's not a yellow jacket at she, this point <laughs> she sure is i probably shouldn't out yellow vests are out uh, yellow jacket is a, more, is a bug but, uh, <laughs> but now that she's been completely turned yeah. by south park and stuff she's what? so hilarious. well i want to talk about this because i saw a tweet and i think you said sent it to our thread um uh, was from dr jordan peterson um, and it was describing the French protests, and his description of this was the rebellion against the globalist elites uh, yeah. <laughs> continue. Oh. Yeah. And he links to a, a post from someone, and it's a, a video of this enormous, enormous yeah. street demonstration. That that doesn't seem to be an understatement. But for weeks now, we've been getting reports out of France about the pension situation and some reforms that Macron instituted, which is apparently an executive action and not Correct. something the legislature did. So but that's some new news today. Right. So the constitutional court today, mm-hmm. uh, surrounded by like an army, um, basically, because they're afraid of the place just getting ransacked by mm-hmm. protesters. So is an army encircled by civilians <laughs> as well? Yes. Um, is uh, came out with this decision largely holding up Macron's executive order to do this radical, like, <laughs> evil thing of... Raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. Yes. That's it. That's <laughs> it, people. Years. France yeah. has... Two years is a long time. France, yeah. and then, of course, it's like a gradual thing. It'll, like... Yeah, it's 2030. Fully, yeah, 2030 yeah. will fully go into yeah. effect. And, and France, like... Um, you have a, a, a much higher percentage of people who work for the state, who work mm-hmm. in government jobs, um, than you do most places uh, else. You also have a much higher role of the state in the economy, telling people when they must retire or must not retire. Um, all of these combined, we've had 30 years. The entire time, my you can't uh, fire people is very difficult. I mean, really, you can, but it's very difficult. Very difficult to fire people. Um, so for the last 30 years, everybody who has attempted to govern France, and France is a borderline ungovernable uh, country, and I don't say that lightly, that's a kind of a big deal, it's a problem, mm. um, uh, has looked this math in the eye. I mean, imagine all of the math that's not good for the United States social security system. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's plenty of it. And, you know, our retirement is what? It's 67, 67. now. Um, and uh, even then, the math is not does not work up. Um, and we're supposed to go out, uh, get the mandatory across the board cuts in benefits and social security in uh, 
I think it is now less than 10 years. So because we, there's not enough money behind it, um, you know, we're, everyone's going to take a uh, 20% haircut. So that's the US. But the French math is much, much worse because the retirement age is 62, not 67, because more people are in it, because it's more defined uh, 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 benefit than, def- uh, you know, you put in money. And, and just to keep in mind that this is, it's pretty interesting that the lowest uh, in the European Union and, you know, in the region, the, lo- the lowest retirement ages are economic powerhouses like Italy, mm-hmm. Greece, <laughs> and Turkey. Those are, it's France, Italy, Greece, and Turkey. The A little sarcasm there. The, the top of the table, which is 67, just like America, Iceland, Norway. I mean, these are countries that people think of as, you know, social democratic, also, you know, a lot of government jobs, et cetera. It's, it's not, you're not becoming America, you're becoming Norway. I mean, it's pretty common in Europe that you're going to have a 67 retirement age. And, you know, as you point out from 60 to 64, it's not just some punitive thing. It's Mm -hmm. a reaction to a state, the state coffers, which have been in trouble for a very long time. So something like 18%, I think, of uh, all uh, spending by the French government goes to pensions. That's not a that's not a very good thing. Um, that's a lot, mm-hmm. uh, and you already have a very expensive healthcare system. Um, and they've got an aging population in the same way most of the developed world does. Yes, um, France does benefit, and this has baffled or intrigued economists for a long time. They have the most efficient public sector in the world. So there is a there is an um, and th- this is has good things and bad things. There's an actual affection for a, a, an understanding of the state. The state is for them uh, or the republic. You know, it's it's something that we're all um, taking part in. And so, um, hmm. in that sense, people are motivated at work when they have state jobs. Unlike in America, where people work in the government kind of aren't that great uh, oftentimes. So that's kind of a good aspect of it. A bad aspect of it is that if you tinker with anything in a way that is perceived mm-hmm. to be uh, against the what you get out of the bargain, they lose their minds. Are there, are uh, there start formal bur- protections that make it easier for them to just leave work and go demonstrate for days? Is that what is well? What is well first of, of all, you have sort of this? like a, 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 it's almost a mandatory. I mean, it's the mandatory thirty-five hour work week. There is you know six to eight mandatory weeks vacation. vacations. Uh, French people. I mean, there's always you'll always notice in in uh, uh, in New York. There's a couple of periods of the year mm-hmm. where everybody on the street speaks French. Um, <laughs> it's because they got to burn through their vacations. They got to go and they have to spend it. Like, in Sweden, nobody works in August. You can't get anything done in August. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. It's called cucumber season. I, I made August a mistake one time of releasing a story right when I got to Sweden that was pretty consequential for one journalist at the biggest newspaper. And I got a response from a bunch of people like, what the fuck are you doing? I, I, I released it like August 15th. And they were like, literally, no one's going to read this. It became a thing in, in September. <laughs> but I had to, I'm, I'm not <laughs> joking. And yeah. they have this summer vicario thing where like people come into the newspapers and like take over the jobs and they're like students, basically, because everything shuts down. Yeah. And just so, for, that, for that period of time, it's just like student yeah. government stories. Yeah. And everybody's in Thailand or the south of France or yeah. Italy or something. Yeah. Nobody's, oh. nobody's around. So every single French government of the last 30 years, and I don't think there's any exception, even Lionel Jospin, I think the socialists probably went through this as well, has tried to reform the system at least a tiny little bit, tinker with it because it is literally unaffordable. You just, it's its such an obvious look at the bar graph over 30 to 50 years. You know where this is going. It's a slow motion disaster for the finances of a country. It makes, it, you know, reinforces 
all of the bad things about the way it is possible to govern and to handle the finances in the country. So they've tried to do it. And every time they've tried um, and tried to pass things, and they could have large parliamentary majorities trying to do this, the entire they just start burning sheep on the highways. They're just <laughs> shut down, riots everywhere. This has happened every single time. And so this time what is different is that Macron, who, remember, he came to power without a party. He, he, yes. he, he was a, an idea. The idea is, yeah, he's kind of young, good looking, um, and he's not, and he's, he's uh, uh, charismatic enough that he can keep the country from uh, being taken over at long last by Le Pen mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and the Front National. So people are like, screw it, we'll vote for him, but it's not like there's a long history of a political apparatus behind him. Um, the difference is he gave up trying to do this in parliament and just said, screw it, I'm going to make this an executive order. Um, and so- Which presumably was lawyered to death, which is why it passed it passed muster in the first round of uh, court challenges. Yes. I mean, they're, they're going to shave parts of it, but, parts the, of it off, yeah. but the essential- I mean, I think that's the, the expectation was that's going to happen too. Yeah. The essential thing of the retirement age is going to go from 62 to 64 is going to happen. I presume that we will see- Very slowly. We will see cars burning today mm-hmm. because of this. Again, they, they've never done this before in the history of the high court there of just surrounded it by military protection, essentially, because they're so afraid that it's the same thing's going to happen to it as happened to apparently the Louis Vuitton headquarters. Yeah, LVMH, or, yeah, LVMH, LVMH, yeah, which is a parent company. Um, yeah. You know, they just immediately uh, start smashing things Yeah, up. which has a lot to do with the Black Rock building, which is kind of wild. Yeah. I mean, uh, there there has been with the, uh, the Yellow Vest protests, um, uh, some of which were anti-COVID. I, I think mm-hmm. it was the reason Slack someone uh, pointed out when I was sharing the Jordan Peterson thing. Like, you know, the the record is kind of uninterrupted of uh, uh, distant foreigners looking at the latest French protest and just imagining that it lines up perfectly with their politics. Of course. At home. Yes, of course. And it never does. The, <laughs> there isn't the, a the reason that this is um, totally mystifying to Americans is that we don't have like a protest culture like this at all. Like January 6th is we, shocking we, we to us. We kind of didn't. Yeah. We, no, I mean, like... I mean, 2020 was... was 2020 kind of was a unique situation because of yeah. COVID. And I don't think if the George Floyd thing had happened in 2019, the same reaction, we, we wouldn't have seen the same reaction. Mm-hmm. That came and went really fast. There was not any policy changes that people were demanding that actually happened. There's some stuff right. on local levels. Mm-hmm. But if you look back at France, I mean, remember in May of 1968 is a date, is a month that everybody in France knows, like back to front. Everyone, you say May 68, everybody knows. At the end of May 68, which is a student protest, ends with Charles de Gaulle giving a televised address in which the government almost fell. Mm -hmm. Very, very close. I mean, factories were shutting down. Unions, which are like, you know, these are like roughneck unions in the the American Mm -hmm. union style of the 1960s, sort of AFLCI, are joining hands with Marxist protesters. This was a moment that was madness. Now, since then... If you go on holiday to France and there's not a protest, that's stunning. If there's not me. a strike. That's there's not a strike. There's not a protest. Snaggling whatever transportation you're going to use. I was reading about the um, protest this morning on the New York Times app, and it reminded me of in 2015 when Courtney Love, <laughs> the okay. widow of, uh, of uh, Kurt, Kurt Cobain, Cobain's yeah. uh, car was attacked surrounded and attacked on her way to the airport by people pro the taxi union protesting Uber. And her, her, her was attacked because they shut down access to De Gaulle Airport, mm. ironically De Gaulle Airport, mm. and probably Orly and probably everyone else too, because they didn't want Uber. And I think that um, ended Uber, uh, something after that, it, 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 enormous regulations on Uber, et cetera. So it, it was successful in some way. Yeah. But the French, I mean, the, the yellow vest 
protest. I mean, there was a hilarious thing also in the journal when it said the um, the uh, uh, the protests have morphed into a populist. It's like no, they've descended <laughs> into a populist protest because you don't need any overriding political idea that everyone is so passionate about to get people on the streets in France. I mean, particularly when you see the the outer banlieue and the immigrant neighborhoods that are, you know, routinely on fire in the mm-hmm. past 10 years, getting people to come out to protest is not a difficult thing. And I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a lot of people that have other issues too. I mean, the forward motion of protests is, I mean, you can go back to 1789. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the forward motion of protests involves a lot of people from a lot of different... Jordan Peterson is saying this is you know, an anti-globalist uprising. The anti-globalist uprising in France is the, con- the consistent, impressive results of the National Front mm-hmm. in elections. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. That, that and it has been that for many, many years. I mean, the, the, the far right in the far, the Mélenchon on the far left and the far right, the Le Pen family, they hate capitalism. They hate globalization, and this is not like, oh my God, there's an anti-globalist protest. Every protest in France is ultimately an anti-globalist protest because there's always that element of anti-capitalism in there. The, you know, you, you remember the, the, the um, WTO protest. I mean, there's so Jose many. Beauvais. Jose, Jose Beauvais. Jose Beauvais, the French farmer He's who had a like very weird sheep. name. Yes, yeah. and he was the one that was always burning <laughs> So, I forgot about Jose Beauvais. What's he doing now? Is he in a band? Uh, <laughs> He's a rapper now. He didn't strike me as a guy who was going to live to a long age. Oh, no. He died. He probably yeah. set himself on fire. I'm not hanging even out with Alan Greenspan. Yeah. So, so how does this end? Because, I mean, Matt, you've laid out the reasons why this is happening on some level. But interestingly, it's, so I have two questions. One, how does this end? Is Macron going to be like have to leave office at some point? That's, that's one question, both of those. But then there's another question, which is, in the United States, we have our own substantial entitlement problems. But both parties have successfully kicked the can down the road or ignored the problem. Republicans at certain points have paid lip service to this, but I can't imagine a universe where they would even try to reform. Trump has said the opposite. He's, like, he will probably be right, the nominee. And he's like, switched. we will not yeah. touch Social Security. Yeah, they've, they've completely abandoned that, yes. that language. Yeah. Some of the negotiators in the House that are looking into the budget uh, ceiling or the debt ceiling, debt ceiling stuff, yeah. um, have mentioned like, well, maybe as part of these negotiations, we will... Yeah. Talk about talking about in the future, maybe talking about doing something <laughs> yeah. about this. But, but, that's, but that's, there's no action. Like, no. it's very odd. It, I mean, from, from an American standpoint, it is very odd to see politicians who have consistently made this an issue, have talked openly about doing something about it. And in Macron's case, would take essentially risk their political future to try and implement these kinds of reforms. Why are they doing that? Why is he doing that? And do you think this costs him his job? Because the, the, the math really is that bad. Like the math is bad in the United States. It's really bad. It's yeah. bad, bad, bad. But also we are the world's reserve currency. Um, we are still a, yeah. uh, a powerful economy. It's, it's a success curse, right? Like it's going to take a lot to get us to the point where we're having to face the consequences. Of, I mean, you could argue that, that uh, inflation, which has not been great, um, has part of the consequences of this and, it, and an overall uh, kind of crabbiness um, and inward looking 
thing that happens is the difference between 3% growth and like 1.5% growth. It's such a huge yeah. societal difference is come part of that. So we face, but it isn't a gun to the head. It isn't like you know, subscribe to this magazine or else I'm going to shoot this dog. Uh, France has that. Every time a new government comes in, they look at the books and go, oh shit. It is so much worse mm-hmm. than anybody else's system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it's not just the pension, which is already the worst. They already have the lowest retirement age, the most money pouring into there, the the bad uh, balance between people paying in people, all, everything about it is bad, but also the rest of their, uh, you know, it's a highly taxed, um, low employment. Um, uh, it's just a kind of a mess. growth country. Mm-hmm. It, well, yeah, it, it has yeah. been, I mean, there's been an economic crisis. My wife hasn't lived in France, uh, since she was 21 years old. Um, and there've been, there has been a youth unemployment crisis, mm-hmm. um, ever since she left, it has never stopped. So like, that's why you do it. That's why everybody, Chirac tried to do it. That's why everybody has tried to do this in the past and usually get shouted down by protests. Um, he's taken the unusual, uh, step of using executive power here, um, I don't think that he has much of a future in um, in French politics, but he's already been but, in but office. But if, 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 if it's if it succeeds, I mean, you're <laughs> who remembers Lionel Jospin? Who remem- remembers Ségolène Royal? I mean, this to you know. You have somebody like De Gaulle who faced something similar, and they named an airport after him. Mm. Maybe, maybe, maybe there is <laughs> he had another a, part of his career. Another part of his career, over, yes, but yeah, I mean, you know, he's also him. he was also a quote unquote um, war hero, which I, I put in very aggressive uh, air quotes. But there, there is the possibility. Like, if you want to make something of your presidency, this is one way of doing it. Mm. And saying this is going, I'm going to be consequential, and it's going to hurt, but I'm going to be the one who saved the economy. Um, and you have also at the exact same time a very, very consequential story that's been roundly ignored. And this is again why the problem with cable news networks. You have an interesting stories that are totally abandoned for fools in fucking Tennessee. Is um, the Macron opening to China? It's crazy. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. talking to Xi, like, hey, yeah, maybe we can hang out now. Let's I mean, solve Ukraine. Together. Yes, mm-hmm. it's that's kind of crazy. Yeah, and yeah. What, what, regardless of what you think of it, it is amazingly big and consequential. And I'm going to recommend one thing. Was it, was it in the same, that same meeting where he talked openly about like the reserve currency? I think so. It must have been. It might have. It That's must wild. have been. He gave another speech, I think in uh, London uh, today or yesterday or, or this week, certainly um, talking about like, you know, we're not just going to be out here in Western Europe being like uh um, satellite appendages of America. We need our own independence and all this kind of stuff. So because we'll be a satellite no, in China. They don't like the <laughs> hyper hyperpuissant. The hyper uh, 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 capitalism. Of America is a pretty routine theme in every. But it's not. French, uh, I think his his thing is less about the hyper capitalism, more about uh, its role in sort of dictating foreign, sure. foreign policy. And this has been... Oh, I just mean that's the shorthand for America is, that you see. This has been a perennial goal in French politics. Hyperpower. Always fallen short is yeah. that they've always wanted a third way within uh, NATO or within the Western alliance. Like, we're not really in NATO. Um, we are our own. Uh, we're going to create our own kind of club, a league of democracies that will, of course, be the the, uh, the leader of. And they never do it. They're, yeah. they're never successful at doing it um, because they actually don't... Uh, have a very good or interesting articulated vision, and they spend their time um, like people uh, who are reactionaries tend to do, uh, meaning that they're sort of a, a setting their own 
uh, course based on like triangulating from other people. It's not about their own vision. It's like, okay, we're going to very consciously be in between the US and China within NATO, but sort of without and all of this. And that's not an attractive thing. And you don't have a lot of chits to offer people like what? No, there's not a huge kind of intellectual class too that is in that pro-American side that you see in a lot of European countries. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had somebody like Jean-Francois Revel, who I think died. He must have. He would have yeah. been 100. Um, what was the the famous book that he wrote? Is um, Between Marx and Jesus, something Marx and Jesus. And then he wrote a book about anti- anti-Americanism. And you have people here and there, like the, and they're mostly liberal intellectuals, liberal kind of, you know, uh, internationals. BHL, type BHL types. And, um, but yeah, France doesn't have that, that tradition. And to... The default is to think America's the problem or a part of the the problem that that Europe is facing and and you know leaning towards America is a, a bad thing. I will recommend one thing that um the new issue of the Economist has a very good I was surprised they had two in a row actually the leaders section you know mm-hmm. which is just the editorials they had one very daring one two weeks two issues ago about uh, uh trans healthcare, mm-hmm. which I thought was. It was very measured and very moderate, but I think they got a lot of shit for it. <laughs> which is which is actually kind of wild that that's daring. Yeah, it was measured moderate. <laughs> they, 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 reached, got... they reached the wrong conclusion. Yes. Not to it, say that the facts are wrong, but yes, it's the wrong conclusion. Exactly. And yeah. it was talking about how, how Europe treats it, et cetera. There is uh, one this week on the American economy, which is pretty, pretty interesting. Mm. And talking about, you know, like how the GDP of the poorest state in Mississippi is like better than the GDP of Belgium or something or, or Italy. And, mm. you know, and, and it, it's a very smart look at the American economy versus the European economy. And in this conversation, I would recommend people read it. I don't want to regurgitate what it said. Just go, go read it. And I think it's, it's pretty useful. There's some stuff to disagree with in it, but, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Should we do? Uh, should we talk right before we go about uh, Trump and Tucker? Uh, yeah. So what was this? What is this week um, that Donald Trump sat down with Tucker Carlson? Yes. I don't know if it was in Florida or DC. It presumably was in, it in, was Florida, in Florida. Yeah. Um, to talk about the the current situation, his legal battle. Um, but he also spent quite a bit of time talking about the Afghanistan withdrawal mm-hmm. um, and the fact that the Biden administration, I was going to say Biden regime, but I didn't tell myself. <laughs> um, but the Biden administration <laughs> had, had tried to sort of direct the finger um, or the blame anyways by pointing the finger at Donald Trump and suggesting that part of the reason for the kind of debacle of a withdrawal from Afghanistan was because they didn't have a plan and Trump kind of set them on a timetable. Time of course, Trump denied up and down that things would have gone badly if he was in charge. Mm-hmm. He would have pulled out at the same time. He, would have he said the same thing about Ukraine fast, too. But, but whatever, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you guys had a chance to watch that, if you have thoughts <laughs> just, on, on the exchange. Um, the, the moment that stood so out crazy. to me beyond the Afghanistan <laughs> moment was him describing the law enforcement um, and various people who worked at the court um, essentially weeping. Because it's, he, they had it, to, he to is fingerprint such an amazing him liar. and take him in. Yeah. I, you know. I think that that's untrue. <laughs> I think that's untrue. I think he's the only source for this, by the way. And the lying is so funny because it's stuff that is not really falsifiable. You can't, <laughs> no one's going to be like, actually, it wasn't true. And he had this one bit where he talks about the nuclear uh, which is uh, my favorite. He doesn't say uh, nuclear weapons. He just says the nuclear. I, I'm uh, me and the nuclear is better than Biden on the nuclear. And he had, and of course, he always goes into his thing about uh, John, uh, Doctor uh, Professor John Trump. 
uh, who who is at MIT. He was the best. He was the biggest. He's like, he always says in the past, he'd be like, you know, I'm very smart, big brand, smart. All the guy MIT. Like he's talking about his <laughs> people in his family. I'm like, dude, Mary Trump is in your family, so fucking chill out. Um, and he's and he started talking about this, and he's like, during um, I guess he said he was preparing for a debate, and he's like, I went and uh, I talked to them, and they said, sir. And he goes on this thing that's clearly never happened. Yeah. And it's this Tucker sitting there like nodding. But my favorite <laughs> bit of that exchange, which is, this is not enlightening at all. It's just hilarious. Where <laughs> I love the style of speaking because it's so demented. When he's like, you know what we did in, in Hiroshima. <laughs> you should see some the hand pe- motions. Some people say Hiroshima. Like he literally <laughs> said that. I was like, what the fuck? He literally took time in an interview to say Hiroshima. Some, some say Hiroshima. Some say that. It's like, wh- what? Why did you just do that? It's so b- bizarre. Like the whole thing was so fucking weird. You would expect on some level, like at his age, that some of this would crop up, but he's always been this way. He's always been this way. Yeah. It's really It's kind of amazing. There's been very little degradation. No. faculty. No. No. He's aged. Yeah, well, the, I mean, he's talking story. in that in that interview <laughs> about how Biden shouldn't run because he's old and infirm. Yeah. And I'm like, you're like, how old is he? 78? <laughs> I don't even know. How old is Trump? They're like, like almost the same. Is he 78? So, yeah. But it, it was it was it was so funny because it, the, the, all the policy stuff, none of it makes any 76. sense. 76. 76. Yeah. And it makes no sense. Like <laughs> most of it is just totally bananas. The nuclear thing was he was talking about Ukraine. And he said you know, no one talks about nuclear. Nobody. That's what they said to me at MIT. Nobody's talking about it. Nobody's talking about it. Like, <laughs> what are you, seriously? That's like, you're just making this up and it makes no sense. But it, the, basically what he was saying is that if you have nuclear weapons, then you can do whatever you want. That was the, the premise. And he was like, but you can't confront them because they have nuclear. That's, they gotta, you gotta, they, they're very big, very big, 500, <laughs> he's like that 500 times, he's like, he's like, we didn't have this in World War II. And then he talks about Hiroshima later, which I thought was hilarious too. Um, but, you know, it made basically no sense, but it was rambling. And then the funniest bit is when, to an incredulous Tucker Carlson, he says he likes Gavin Newsom. Oh, yeah, that's right. And yeah. why does he like Gavin Newsom? The great <laughs> thing about Trump is, the, is how he's both a liar yeah. and unbelievably transparent, uh-huh. where he's like, he said nice things about me. <laughs> he's like, and he said, he literally says, I can't attack the guy. He said nice things about me. I'm not joking. And it's like, doesn't your son's wife used to be married to him? Uh, are they married? Did they get married? I don't know. They get married. They're still dating. Oh my God. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. It was, it, he's like, Gavin, good, great guy. He's also been trolling Ron. Yeah, exactly. So that's, yeah. That's Gavin, the yeah. Gavin is the lead yeah. Democratic that's attack. Also, dog. that's a Leave good point. Leave California, go point. to Florida and troll Ronda. Yeah. Ronda. I'm just yeah, going to call him the Sanctimonious. I always get, get a little shit when I don't pronounce his name correctly. Yeah, because you say, you say it like he's like a you DeSantis. Like, like, he's, <laughs> like some some people say DeSantis. Yeah, DeSantis. Some people say DeSantis. Yeah, yeah. I call him Run Meatball. <laughs> the Meatball. Anti-Italian hatred. The new uh, Trump impersonator on SNL is actually good. It's the same, guy, good, yeah. same guy who does the, uh, the Dylan. Dylan, he's very funny. Yeah. Dylan's the best. It's the best thing ever. ever. Yeah. Uh, Dylan. It was on Jimmy, not, um, it was on some show. Where he does Dylan throughout his career. Yeah. Uh, very, very funny. Uh, Jimmy Fallon. Uh, yes. Trump 76, Biden 80. Yes. If they are running against each other next year, the 81, at some point, it'll be 81 versus 70 because Trump's birthday is he'll in June. Math. No, yeah. but I'm, I'm looking at the months. Trump's birthday is in June. He'll be 70, 78. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. I, you know, and also... 
a friend of mine. I mean, the odds of both of them living that long are actually not no, no, so no, no, great no, no, anyway. No. I mean, if, 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 Trump, <laughs> if Trump is reelected, he's assassinated within a month. <laughs> and it, it will probably be like Lawrence O'Donnell or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, it'll be one of his sons. You, Actually, you no, said that get, like you know you have some inside information. No, they get like too good a ratings. They want to. <laughs> it's true. No, they'd probably do the assassination coverage oh. for years. Um, no, but the one a friend of mine um, pointed out. I think I texted you guys about that uh, RFK Jr. Mm-hmm. throwing his hat in the ring. Yeah, and if he is as a Democrat, that'd be a pretty fun debate. It would be a fun debate. I, I'm just saying, like, if he, I, I don't know what the guy believes outside of. Outside of um, well, you vaccines. saw you saw that Steve Bannon is encouraging um, uh, Trump to select RFK Jr. as his running mate. Yeah, oh, Steve wow. Bannon's really yeah. got his finger on the pulse. <laughs> <of America. laughs> he yeah. does again. Yeah. He, I mean, b- best friends with Gua Wangui, um, who's now. It's funny actually. Um, somebody found this piece that I did about Gua Wangui, the the Chinese the oh, yeah, dissident, quote unquote. Yeah, and uh, uh, it was funny because. A producer got access for, I didn't pitch this piece. I said, do you want to do it? Because it's going to be kind of silly. And Because the guy, it was about how he bought the most expensive apartment in New York. Yeah. Uh, at the, um, was it the Shelley? It's just on the corner of, of the park, mm-hmm. on the, the southeast corner, right by the Plaza Hotel. He spent um, $86 million, or he said $89 million on the apartment. And I, t- I think I might have mentioned this, that I got a complaint from his people after we aired it, because I got the, the the transaction record and it was seventy something, and they were like no 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 they they, they were they were angry they were like no no it it is more it, it was more <laughs> they <laughs> no were like way. they were and I was, they were like you need to correct this and I was like what because it's like real estate fees and taxes no I'm not That's that was crazy. the asking price. but I did this uh, piece in which I hung out with this guy and just because he was crazy yeah and the piece was like a like a lighthearted piece before yeah. this is before i think it was right around this time maybe after it aired or maybe right when we were in edit we found out that he was no maybe i talked to him about it we just found out that he was like friends with bannon mm-hmm. and he hadn't bought that social media company or anything and he was talking about china and there was something like total nutbag far 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 left guy who's mm-hmm. pro uh, uh ccp on twitter that resurfaced this and he's like you know the neocon vice, <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, my editor Richard Pearl, over, like, <laughs> you know, uh, stumping for this scumbag and all this stuff. And I was like, I don't. It was just a lighthearted piece. It's not like I was doing any digging into this guy's finances. I mean, where does one even begin with that, or it's how like, does one do it? And this is what three years removed, About maybe three, more, four, maybe four years ago, from yeah. the allegations yeah. that he's currently dealing with. Yeah, which there was a piece in the Wall Street Journal that was really good about the people who've been scammed by him. Mm-hmm. They're mostly Chinese Americans who hate the CCP. And it seems like this guy's a fucking scumbag, mm-hmm. like a mm-hmm. real, you know, he has like nine names. Miles Quok was the one that I love the best. <laughs> it's like, boy, Miles Quok. <laughs> but uh, I made him cry in the interview. I don't remember why. We're talking about his mother, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was in translation. And I still made him cry. <laughs> that boy. was a great achievement. Attaboy. Yeah, I wasn't like speaking Mandarin perfectly. Well, was, who, was, like, who was manipulating who? Yeah. Uh, was real yeah, tears? Yeah. Uh, no, I think they were real tears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hit him. I hit him hard. I hit him where it hurt. Um, I was just like, "There's some. This guy is clearly a crook." I think I mean maybe mentioned that in the voiceover. I don't even know. Maybe it got cut for legal purposes. That all that would always happen. It's like the lawyers would be like, well, "Yeah, you, you have can't, to take this you out. Can't do that." Yeah. No, no, they would like make me take stuff out. Yeah. I'm like, you know, Miles Quonk. If that is his real name, it's not his real name. They'd be like, "I don't know. Just maybe cut that." Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the reporting on this and Bannon's association. Remember when Bannon was arrested? 
for that um, the defrauding of people who want oh, you know, to yeah. build the wall. For yeah, that. yeah. Um, he was arrested by <laughs> by the postal police <laughs> on uh, Guawangwe's boat. boat. On his boat, that's right. Yeah, he's pulled. Yeah, perp and walk on the yacht. A perp walk on the yacht, and it's like, but reading about um, this totally crazy pyramid scheme and how this guy's defrauded people is pretty fascinating. So apparently I was part of just you know, all these Chinese Americans watching that silly piece about how expensive his apartment was. We're like, I think I can get behind this guy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if you're watching a piece like that and that motivates you to give this person your money to invest. None of these people speak English, by the way. Luck, he, so. he had a daily broadcast in, in Chinese mm-hmm. in Mandarin um, that every day for like three hours. And uh, there's a bit of it in my piece when he has a studio in his, in his apartment where he, he shot it from. And it was like really popular. It had, you know, it was blocked in China and it was, but it was popular in China too. So anyway. Yeah. What we we should, we should probably wrap because yeah. we all got to go. I got to go to an airplane. Um, for for uh, subscribers, yeah. right? Which all of you should be for yeah. paying subscribers. We usually do a second Sunday uh, uh Broadcast where we invite subscribers to join us on Zoom. Yes, um, we didn't do this past Sunday because it was Easter. Easter. We were observing yeah. Easter. Yes. We observed Easter, That's although Moynihan and I still went. And yeah, it. just because we were annoyed about something. Yeah. Um, and, I, and we made the uh, the generous move. Yes, to make generous. that to make that free to everybody yeah, yeah, yeah. as an Easter gift. Uh, uh, encouraging all those people who got the special gift to subscribe, and they and they didn't. Yeah, so yeah. The, so the, yeah. The, your generous gift day. No, the people who are left who haven't subscribed, we do understand that you're disgusting freeloaders, yeah. and you would steal from your mother if she wasn't looking. <laughs> uh, but just to remind, so the second Sunday is going to be a third Sunday. It's going to be this Sunday. So I'm yeah. I'm yeah. saying that to remind you guys too in this room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll figure out the time between now and then. Yeah, yeah we we got to go. Um, I will see you guys next week at the uh, fire gala. That's right. Yeah, um, yeah. I will be there. You. I'll be in a in a tuxedo, which I haven't worn a suit in. Five years, maybe. We gotta get pics. So. Taken. Do you think Killer Mike's gonna be wearing a tuxedo? I don't know. You should text him. Yeah, is he gonna pull up his pants? You, do you think he's there. gonna have a gun on him? <laughs> pull up his pants. <laughs> what are you, Bill Cosby? Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. I love Bill Cosby was telling him to pull up his pants while he was pulling down his pants. No one ever, you know. So many problems. Mm-hmm. So many problems. God. Yeah. All right. He's we doing should. a tour, by the way. We should go. We should all go see oh, him. We're going. Oh my God. Yeah, we're going. There's no doubt. He's gonna be on the podcast. Yeah, I'd like to We'd, go he hasn't on the podcast, but we should have him on. We'll ask, him, we'll ask him the tough sheriff. questions. Yeah. <laughs> Spanish fly. Oh, hi. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse.